Good morning. Hello, everybody. We should be live and all should be well here. Yep, looks like that's all good. All right. Good morning. Uh, let's see here. Welcome to our critical Q&A show for June 28, 2020. I am joined by my beautiful wife, Melissa. <laughs> And that'll be enough of Alvin and the Chipmunks. So, <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, glad you could join us here. Looks like everything's good. Thank you, Mark, for uh, confirming that. And uh, we've already got a point coming in here. Uh, so we are going to get to your question, Neon Cat, in just a moment. I want to um, welcome everybody. Thank everybody for uh, joining us here. Um, Good times all around. And Melissa, my beautiful wife, uh, is, is uh, joining us to help me with moderation duties. And of course, if you have any questions for her, then she is here to answer them as well or help me with some of those answers. So um, let's go ahead and uh, maybe we should just get right to it. Huh? This is a Q&A show. I did want to say that... Um, I, I really enjoyed the podcast that I put up this week with Benjamin Boyce, and I hope you guys are able to check that out, have a little bit of interest in that. Um, you know, uh, admittedly, two white guys talking about stuff, but um, actually it informed, <laughs> informed a discussion. So anyway, um, I hope you guys will check that podcast out. And I wanted to um, say that um, just because since I'm usually do since I usually start my Q and A's with some sort of preamble about you know how things are going with the channel and what I'm doing and and plugs and all that kind of stuff, I wanted to say that um, definitely moving in a direction of of way broadening the category of discussion on this channel to authoritarian propaganda stuff, you know, the culty stuff that we see all around and. Uh, in fact, if all goes well, I'll be doing a uh, chat with John Atack this Tuesday live stream. Um, we're setting that up so we can talk about some of that stuff exactly. And anyway, I just wanted to, you know, sort of say that that's where this thing is going and has been going for a long time. And I'm just sort of saying it out loud that, you know, Scientology is something I will obviously continue talking about forever because it's always going to be a part of my life and always something to discuss and especially answer your questions about. But in terms of um, new content, not super interested in continuing to make videos about Scientology at this point. Um, I will probably do a few, but um, that, that might hone in on specific aspects of it. Or if there's news or current events about it, of course, I will certainly comment on that. But as far as the subject itself goes, I've just, I, I just really feel like I've put so much content out there. And I, for myself, <laughs> kind of need to um move on a little bit from it <laughs> cuz i you know cuz there's the whole typecasting thing of course mm -hmm. you know you put yourself out there and and i understand that i have that i've built a channel on that topic but um i am i am more than that and i've and i've been more than that from the very beginning and and i've not wanted to just harp on that one thing so uh anyway um that is that I, again Please, please, let's be clear. I'm not saying I'm never going to talk about Scientology or I'm not doing, you know, stuff about that anymore. I'm not saying it's a it's a verboten subject on my channel. I'm not, I'm not going, there's no pendulum swing here. It's just I'm trying to broaden the subject matter of the channel because I think that 
um, all those lessons and knowledge and experience of Scientology can be applied to other areas of life too, and should be. Otherwise, what's the point? You know, to just kind of harp on some fringe religious group for the rest of my life doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. So, anyway, um, there you go. Um, okay, Ike is saying what WTF? I don't know what he's saying WTF too. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's go ahead and start addressing your questions. What was the first one we had there? So from Neon Cat, he says, Hi, Chris, I need your advice. You left a cult knowing the risk. My full-time job is well-paying and stable, but I'm mentally and physically stressed. Should I leave this job? Should I take the risk? Oh, wow. Uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I don't know the whole, the whole context of why you have the job, so I can't, I wouldn't say that, um, I mean, mentally and physically stressed from the job, I guess, I would say, well, there's something to deal with there. I hate being mentally and physically and emotionally stressed from jobs. Yep. Um, but I don't know that I have enough information in your question to, to give you advice as to whether to say yes or no, you should leave it. Mm. I mean, there's financial considerations. I don't know what your familial situation is if you have little mouths to feed. You know, stuff like that. I mean, those pressures are real and, and uh, we can't just sort of, you know, forget about them or cast them aside. But um, if you have the financial means to do so and to find something less stressful or less or more sort of that makes you happy or brings you joy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, then do so. Do but it, don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it's a balancing act. You know, context is everything there. So, mm -hmm. um yeah, okay, here we go. I'm starting to look for a new job. Oh, by the way, let me throw up the chat. Okay, good. So for the record, people will be able to see the chat as we uh, move forward here. Um, looking for a new job. I'm wondering, I'm just, I'm just not strong enough to handle the stress. Okay, well, then it's time to find something new. I mean, yeah. I definitely, we both. Mm -hmm. You know, do you have any comment on this? Yeah, if it's causing you that much distress, I mean, don't I wouldn't say necessarily just quit, but definitely find something else and then quit, you know? Yeah, that would be the sequence that we've used in the past, mm -hmm. uh, both of us, actually, um, is find something, get yourself set up, you know, keep your basics um, cared for, um, because the idea of tear everything down and then we'll figure it out, yeah. you know, I've yeah. already said that's not necessarily the winning strategy, you know? All right, good. Um, glad I could help with that. And then what was the next one we had? Okay, so hey, Chris and Mel, random question. Have you guys went out and dealt with a Karen or Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, sure. Have I ever dealt with a Karen or a Kevin? Yeah, I think I used to be surrounded by them in Scientology. <laughs> yeah, I used to work in customer service and retail and that kind of thing. So, um, yes, I have definitely dealt with plenty of Karens and Kevins. Oh, my God. I, you know, that whole Karen thing is funny. Um, I think in some places um, it's being taken a little too far. I've actually seen some racist overtones with it. Which, wow. Yeah, which weren't too cool as far as, you know, Karen's always got to be, um, you know, this white woman who mm -hmm. kind of hates on, you know, black people or something. I, 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 I just kind of always understood Karen to mean a um, sort of self-entitled yeah yeah you know egotistical tunnel vision kind exactly. of exactly very demanding me, me, woman me, yeah that's that's what i always understood it, me right? too yeah yeah 
Um, but now there's this sort of racial overtone mm-hmm. being brought into it that isn't so fun. I, I of course, am willing to uh, lampoon uh, anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Anyway. Cool. Right. Well, keep questions coming, guys. This is a Q&A show, and, I'm, uh, and I want more. This what else one, we got? we've got um, ex-Scientologists. Mm-hmm. Do, we like, do we like someone and become friends with them because they think like we do? Shouldn't we also like someone because they have different ideas than us? Oh, what a great question. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely mm-hmm. we should. You know, variety is the spice of life. Um, you know, it is only through the exposure of different ideas and new ideas that we ourselves would not be able to come up with. We, we either lack the imagination, the experience, the language, um, you know, the knowledge base to, uh, you know, to look at things from different points of view. And, and that's really, really necessary because we frame the world through our own lens and, um, and we need other people. We need other people who have a different way of looking at things or different perspectives to point out our own biases, our own flaws, our own our own sort of pitfalls in thinking, you know, and not and and feeling too. Actually, it's not even you know. I'm I'm always going on about rationality and ideas, mm-hmm. but the same thing applies for emotional responses and content and stuff too, right? Oh yeah. damn, Mike! Wow. Thank you, man. Um, have you been giving blood for me? Good, thank you. I will take that up in just a second. I, good question. But let me finish answering on this one. Um, the emotional things, that the emotional contributions or views that people bring to your life are also just as valuable as the data or differing views that they bring to you also. Um, I had, you know, I, a lot of my education or learning about life and about, um, mental issues, like Mm -hmm. we talked about in the call-in show this week. Yeah. You know, I learned from you emotionally, Mm -hmm. not just here's some data. Right, right, right. Even how you respond to things and, and, you know, I think that, I think that's, that enriches your life, you know? Uh, by having lots and lots of that. So, yeah, point made. And then is Ike, uh, Ike's question here. Uh, congratulations on branching out. It's not easy speaking truth to a mob that demands conformity. That is definitely true. But you're well-practiced and are uniquely positioned to do so. Have you been getting blowback from any of your recent stances? Yes, I have. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's <laughs> to be expected. I actually definitely expected... Actually, even in some ways, a little bit more blowback. Um, on Twitter, I only had to block a couple people. <laughs> um, and I actually really wish I hadn't even had to do that. I, I, I take it back, except Twitter is just the land where nuance dies and people would, I, you know, would mis- misunderstand my intent. Um, but... Um, yeah, there has been, I, even the, even the video that I posted yesterday, I was getting some, um, some sort of pushback on it and it wasn't bad. It wasn't horrible. You know, I don't mind people pushing back with, uh, when they're pushing back on arguments or ideas, I have not yet been called a racist, um, out, outright overtly because of what I've been talking about with Black Lives Matter. And that's good. That's encouraging. It's actually helped me to keep talking about it. That I haven't um, gotten too much uh, real hate. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It's easy. I got a couple. I mean, it's easy enough to block, block, block sort of thing. Um, 
and I I love the uh, I love the the uh, the constant uh, criticism of um, uh, you're not much of a critical thinker. I thought you were a critical thinker. <laughs> I love those. Oh yeah. So that's because you think differently from them. You're automatically not a not critical a critical thinker. thinker. You know, it's okay. we can all be critical thinkers and disagree. It's it, that that is still a legit thing. There are you know we can disagree on opinions, viewpoints, ideas about things. And we can try to inform one another and be better at that, that. And I think that would be a better way of, of moving forward than, um, than just all the name calling, you know, I, I see, I, I think people also, I don't know, this might be wrong, but I think also people are kind of exhausted in, in a lot of ways too. So I think, I think we're, I think some of the lack of pushback I might be getting just is coming from the fact that there's so much going on and people are so, ah, yeah, about it, you know, but that's just conjecture on my part. Uh, thanks again, Ike, for that. Really appreciate the support, man. Um, do we have more? We've got uh, Dina. Mm-hmm. Best way to deal with an older terminally ill patient or parent who has been led to believe in Rush, Hannity, Fox, and Trump. I don't want to argue, but changing the subject is always extremely difficult. Yeah, good question. Um, a lot of it depends on the relationship and how good it is that you have with the parent, right? If it's if it's contentious about everything, then it's just going to be more contention, right? But if it's just on this area of like, oh, Fox and politics, let's say, or Trump, right? You mentioned, uh, yeah, Hannity, Fox, Trump. Um I would not, especially with terminally ill parents and, you know, older people, I would not get into big arguments about belief. Um, You're dealing with a lot of potential variables with Mm -hmm. older people, terminally ill people, especially in terms of what's even functioning up here. I'm not trying to make assumptions that everybody who gets older is losing their marbles. I'm just saying there's variables. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a broad question, so I'm answering in a broad way. Um, you have to take those kind of things into account when, with you know, when you're engaging um, ideas with somebody. Are they capable of even like rethinking their ideas? And in the case of of what you're describing, um, probably not. And it's probably you know not the best use of their of of either of y'all's time to try to harp on that stuff. If you can find other things, here's the real the real answer is no. Please find the things you can agree on. And reinforce the hell out of that. You know, find the things you do love each other for as a parent to a child or that you can relate to as a parent to a child, child to a parent, and really emphasize that stuff. That's what kept me in touch with my mom over all the years that we were contentious about Scientology. When she was out and I was in, and I knew she was out and she was leery of me being all in. we couldn't talk about Scientology, and she's the one who made it clear to me that that was okay, that we could still talk about other things and still have a relationship, not based on the stuff we disagreed about, but the stuff we do agree about. Right. However mm. small or tiny that little bud might be, if it's gotten down to the point where there's nothing to talk about, that's rough. And in, in, in a case like that, I would try to you know find something, but... If you want the relationship to be there and be real, um, that's, I don't know, that's kind of what I'm thinking on that. You know, the biggest worries he believes COVID isn't a problem, yeah. doesn't wear a mask. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. 
That sucks. Um, and obviously, I guess, Dina, the, the science isn't communicating at all. Um, you yeah, know, that's a hard one. I don't know how to convince these people that COVID is real. I don't get it. It's hard. Um, you know, one thing. <laughs> some people might see it as a kind of emotional blackmail mm-hmm. or something. Um, I wouldn't use it this way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't use it in such a way that it would, that it would come off like that, but it could even be, look, I just, I love you so much. Could you just do it for me? (laughs) (laughs) I get it. You disagree. You think it's stupid. You think it's dumb. I understand. You don't even agree with the science. You think it's all a, a hoax, but will you please, when you go out, wear a mask for me? You know, I mean, you know, you're talking about life and death matters. You're not talking about small things. So, um, you know, again, I, I hesitate to go in the direction of trying to be emotionally manipulative. But if it's going to save a life, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Know, I don't know. I don't know. You have to you have to take that with a grain of salt and use that as it applies to your life and your situation there. But if there's, you know, if there's some way that you can communicate to the person and get them uh, you know, especially with an older person who really is legit at an, in an at-risk category, um, and you want them to preserve their life, then, you know, I would say that to my mom if that was the case. Mm-hmm. My, of course, my mom's not like that, but if that was the case. Yeah, give it a try and let me know how it goes, you know. All right. I disagree with David Miscavige. Yeah, you too. We all do. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, good. Was that, uh, do we have others? I don't see any other ones. Okay, good. Know. Keep them coming, guys. Love the Q&As. And like I said, feel free to ask me any questions about Scientology. I'm not leery of talking about it. I'm just, you know, I'm just not going to necessarily be doing full-on videos about it anymore. Oh, and then he wants, ex-Scientologist oh. says, isn't fact-checking the best way to combat misinformation being propagated through the media yes absolutely um fact checking is crucial and also checking your emotional biases um when you're reviewing the news um it you know it's there's a recognition that has to go along with the fact checking um and that is the efforts at appeal to emotion and appeal to authority that exists throughout our media and through because it's it's this is standard propaganda stuff um you know, headlines are, are the headline writer job, I think, is a, its own job. Different from the person. The person who wrote the story isn't usually the person who writes the headline. Mm-hmm. I think that's the editor or something or, or headline writers. And um, and they're doing it for clickbait. They're doing it so that mm-hmm. people will look at the articles. I've seen headlines that were the exact opposite of what the story was. Right. Just to get you there. So sometimes the fact checking that you that you, yes is very very necessary includes fact checking the emotional content of the statement you know i just wanted to point that out because often we are triggered by these headlines or by the the subject of the news articles and that gets you into a headspace where fact checking becomes difficult because you're already in this emotional state so i wanted to also throw that out there as part of the process is kind of stepping back from the story and going, okay, I need to unemotionally evaluate this too, right? I have to remove the emotional content as much as I can, because that will give you maximum amount of frontal lobe um, to take advantage of, Yeah, you know? 
Uh, and whoever whoever is trying to call me right now, <laughs> if you're watching this, I ain't picking up my phone right now. <laughs> All right. So um, I don't know. I hope that uh, hope that answers. Uh, when did? Oh yeah. Okay. So what do you think of the nation of Islam? What do I think of the nation of Islam? Um, I think the nation of Islam is a destructive cult that was organized back in the 20s. I think I did a podcast about this whole thing, actually. Um, and uh, I don't have any question at all that the Nation of Islam is a destructive cult. I think it takes advantage of uh, historical ignorance and uh, gullibility and um, a lot of other things, as destructive cults do, to uh, appeal to you know uh, this group of people who want um, I want their identity recognized, want justice, want equality. I mean, those things are all good. But when you build a cult on top of those values and then start pushing people in certain directions, get organized with get involved in organized crime, you know, that all this all those sort of salacious stuff they get involved in over the years um, that the NOI has has gotten involved in. And then after all that, partner with the Church of Scientology <laughs> as like the positive move forward for your movement, right? Because Dianetics is the thing that's going to, it's going to bring you salvation, you know, mental clarity and, and, uh, and spiritual salvation to accomplish your mission. I mean, I can't think of a worst possible scenario for, for these poor followers. I mean, talk about a confused headspace. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. You know, um, it's bad. It, you know, so that's that's kind of what I think of the Nation of Islam in, in a short. But check out my podcast on it. I did a whole thing on the history of it, the belief system, where it comes from. Uh, interesting stuff. Uh, kind of crazy background, too. Um, yeah. All right. So then Eric Smith says, since Scientology is a money-making scam, why do they work so hard to get parishioners in the Sea Org? Because the Sea Org is the is the core group that keeps the whole thing going, you know the outer orgs of Scientology. It's sort of this it's sort of this uh, spider web spoke sort of deal with the Sea Org, David Miscavige, and the Sea Org in the middle, and then you have the outer orgs, and then you have the public, right? The outer orgs being like the city level churches. So this the city level, the outer levels are not that you know that those are not what's keeping Scientology going and keeping Miscavige. Um, rich and you know, uh, fed and all that. I mean, he he needs Sea Org members and he needs a constant stream of them because he tears through them. The Sea Org just tears through people. It it's it has a it has a turnover rate that is kind of I I think it's something on the order of like for every Sea Org member that exists right now. And this was years ago. I think the figure is for every Sea Org member, there's like. Five, six, seven X Sea Org members. I mean, they they just turn over and um and it chews through people and it and it and it ruins them. I mean, it really messes with them. So people are getting promoted and then busted constantly. And then once you're busted, you're kind of persona non grata forever. I mean, it's like in this and this is all within the Sea Org. I used to work with people in the estates area and on the RPF who had been very, very senior executives involved with very high-level church operations. And they got busted, and they're never going back. So Miscavige needs a new crop of people coming in, and they have all these insane qualifications 
these lists of things you have to have accomplished, IQ, personality test has to have things in a certain range. You can't have, in order to move up to the very, very top, you can't have had any kind of crazy drug history or wild sexual escapades. And the world, you know, is a pretty wild place and drugs are pretty rampant. So finding these people and getting them into the Sea Org and then moving them up the line is a bit of a Herculean task. Oh, God, I imagine. It is. And so this is why they need this constant stream of fresh meat, so to speak, you know, of new members. And from those new members come the Sea Org members and that sort of thing. So, and... At the same time that I'm saying all of this, I will still stand by what I said earlier that many times that Miscavige is not particularly working on growing Scientology. So, you know, the, the new membership lines have been dead for since the 80s. They've really not tried to do any real forward push to get new new members since the I think the mid-90s is like the last time there was ever a real concerted effort. The Super Bowl commercials notwithstanding, those things are just money makers for the internal people who are already Scientologists. So, I don't know. I hope that uh, I hope that explains everything. Um, I hope I'm talking clearly about all that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that answer made sense. All right. So, what else we got? Ex-Scientologist wants to know, when did news stop being real and become sensationalism entertainment? Uh. Wow. Um, 60s, I think. I think that's when the tide started turning on the on the yeah. news, starting to become not just here are the facts, but let's let's add a little bit of spin to them. I think the reporting on Vietnam, on the Vietnam War, which I'm which I've not gone deep on. I've only been told a few things about it that give me this I, this impression. Um, you know, advertising has been spinning it from day one. They've been taking all the lessons of propaganda and Bernays and using those against us from from the very beginning. Uh, you know, buy the soap and cigarettes are healthy for you and all that kind of nonsense. But as far as the news goes, I don't think it started infecting that area until the, until the until Vietnam and the social unrest of the 60s. Um, that's, that's my best uh, guess on that right now. <clears throat> Fred Flogiston says, if you would get your PC folder, would you release it? And if yes, which part would you not blank out? <laughs> <laughs> I bet it would be a real education for me to get my PC folders. I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm never <laughs> going to get my hands on them, I'm sure, unless Scientology falls and I somehow can get in there and get them. Yeah. But, um, and that, I'll tell you, I, I bet I have forgotten way more than I remember about my Scientology experience. And um, I would be fascinated to go through those things. The first folder is the one that has, you know, a whole bunch of evaluations about you and your programs and the things the case supervisor is writing and and stuff like that. And the folder error summary, which is this big collection of all the errors that have been made on your case over the years that you've been getting auditing and all the repair that you need and stuff. I'll bet you there's stuff in there I've totally forgotten about. Um, I, I, I'd also be, be kind of interested to see... Um, all the evil purposes that I ran out on the RPF because they were they were <laughs> tables of them. I mean, there was legions of of evil, evil purposes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to use these enough. That um, that I ran out, you know, through the uh, through the false purpose rundown. So I don't know what I would. So my I guess what I'm what I'm kind of gets. Uh, 
going around and around here on is I don't know what I'd blank out because <laughs> I forgot what's in there. But everything that I do remember and know and know about myself, of course, and all the things I talked about, I don't I don't think any of it would be would be very super confidential from the from the broad public. I don't I, you know, I decided to be an open book on the day that I started doing this. And I don't have big skeletons in my closet and big, huge, monstrous secrets. I've got some personal things that I'm not going to make public. But um, but as far as my, you know, who I am and what I'm about and my history and stuff, I don't I, I don't really care that much about it. <clears throat> so, yeah. All right. Kiva asks again, how do I avoid sounding like I told you so when the friend used aversive training on his dog like shock collars, which I warned against, then he had to put it down after it mauled his seven-year-old's arm? Damn. Yeah, that's crazy. Damn. Poor kid. Yeah. Well, here's how I avoid doing that. And maybe this will help you. I know for an absolute fact that it is nothing but useless to tell somebody I told you so. Mm -hmm. Because what that does is it hits them in the ego and it makes them slightly or incredibly defensive. And that shuts down the critical thinking that you want them to engage in. And it shuts down the lesson learning that you want them to have. Because I told you so. I was right. You were wrong. <clears throat> right? Well, they were wrong. And odds are, if their seven-year-old's arm was mauled by a dog, they probably know they were wrong. Hopefully. Hopefully they've had that realization. I mean, I might be missing the context of the question here. Maybe the person didn't get it, but if they, but I would imagine, oh my God, I hope they got the point that, you know, that was not a good thing. And instead of approaching it from an I told you so point of view, it's more of, okay, so, you know, we talked about this. What are, what are your thoughts on it now? What do you think about all of that? You know, I don't know. If it comes up in a conversation mm -hmm. and you want to start a conversation with them about it, then it would be a, a, a more of a questioning consult, you know, consulting kind of conversation to see where their head's at on it now and see if they've learned their lesson or see if there's still something there. And if you create a safe conversation for them to open up about and, and be honest and talk openly about their mistakes, they'll probably go there. Um, or you can more easily steer them there. What I will say is even if that doesn't work, what will absolutely positively not work is telling them how wrong they were and and really, really shoving it down their throat hard, right? Unless you really want to get a negative effect out of this person, I would not generally, in a general way, I'm, I, again, this is a broad question, so I'm answering broadly, but I would not approach it from a ha <laughs> ha point of view yeah uh, I, I don't know i um i hope that helps okay <clears throat> nobody home here wants to know besides jesse prince do you have a or any black friends yes of course i do yeah. <laughs> yes i do <laughs> <laughs> both online and in real yes in real yes. life yes <laughs> in fact um one of my best friends here in denver is a black man <sighs> Okay. Right. And <laughs> Leslie Martin says, hi, Chris and Melissa. Chris, will there be another episode of The Three Apostates? I really enjoy the three of you interacting. I now watch their videos. Yes, definitely. Uh, in fact, I, it, thanks for asking me here. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, and I've, I've been meaning to reach out to Lloyd and John and, and set that up. So I will, um, I will do so. I'll let them know the natives are getting restless and we need to get <laughs> on with that. 
Uh, so we will get to the we will get to another three apostates. All right. And then Nerman Odkin wants to know how do you feel about religion mixed with current politics, a non separation of church and state? I hate the idea of religion being mixed with politics. Theocracies are awful. They they almost always turn into culty situations because when you're when you're merging extremist belief or deep deep seated belief in a supernatural belief system and you merge that with a government system which is designed to run a gaggle of people who have differing ideas and beliefs about things then you get this authority system that that is either going to enforce its belief system on the on the on the people the the population or at least is going to look at all of those people through the lens of its belief system and is going to treat them accordingly which is a skewed biased way of treating the population and we of course in the west have come up with this tradition of separation of church and state to solve that exact problem because it can get so bad that the that the state through its belief, its church institutions can start, you know, torturing people, carrying out inquisitions. I mean, history is clear on what happens. Mm -hmm. Iran is an example right now of what it looks like. It's not a happy place to be. You don't want theocracies. You don't want a merging of church and state. This is just, there's just no, I can't think of any real like good examples of that. There's mm, the no, you know, people bring up the Dalai Lama, and I go, uh, uh, no, that's not a real great no. society that's being run there. I like some of what the Dalai Lama says, but I do not ever want to be ruled or or have somebody dictating the laws of a country based on their religious beliefs or exactly. have those influence through that. And all the pushback that we do. Here in the United States, with my podcast with Clint Haycock, especially where we talk about Christian theology and dominionism, and and um, you know these this this effort, this this very 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 powerful strong effort here in the United States by the religious right to enforce their beliefs through government interdiction through laws, it's just bad news. You know, there's no there's no happy ending in that in that situation. Not for and and to be clear, for everybody who doesn't believe as the government believes is, is are the people who are going to get persecuted. Exactly. I mean, the people who are on board, they love it, and that means it could be Christians too, because it depends on which sect of Christianity the government decides to go with. So that's because you're Christian doesn't mean you're protected. Exactly. Just remember that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. So, um, hey Flint. <laughs> Fun saying hi to us in the comments. Hello. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's my short version take on that. Again, there, you know, we've done whole podcasts about it because it's a complicated and um, difficult topic. I understand people's uh, beliefs, you know, start running hot and heavy, and they're like, "My way is the right way." So, mm, you know, no, yeah. no, thank you. Okay, right. so Ike. Ogiamian. I oh, probably I, yeah. messed that up. Some of us are temperamentally conservative, libertarian individualists. Doesn't mean we are wicked, greedy, xenophobic, or sexist. Mm -hmm. Thoughts on temperament vis-a-vis -vis, uh, political philosophical views? Okay. Well, you know, temperament has to do. I guess. I guess what. I guess how I'm thinking about the way you worded your question there is is extremism of 
enforcement of the belief. You know, we are never all going to be on the same page. So we're going to have to figure out how to get along. And um, as far as I'm concerned, the United States government system of checks and balances and stuff is, is sort of the it runs on compromise. That's the that's this sort of grease that keeps the wheels of our government going is compromise. Nobody's getting a hundred percent of what they want, but if you and if you can get ninety percent, take it right because that's the you know otherwise you're going to hit law of diminishing returns and it's gonna and it's just going to be nothing but grief for you. So people, we want people of a temperament in government to be able to recognize and deal with each other that way. And we want a citizenship that is informed enough that they understand that differing views are actually a good thing. A variety of views and ideas and temperaments about, you know, within the population is a plus. It's a feature, not a bug. Because as we said at the very beginning, actually, with the uh, ex-Scientologist question, you know, a variety of views and ideas is what bring, is it lifts all of us up. Mm-hmm. Even the bad ideas, and I know I'm, I might I might get shit for saying something like this, but you can't kill extremism. You can't kill an idea. So there's always going to be people on the fringes of any spectrum who are going to be awful, who are going to be all about us versus them, who are going to be all about, you know, it's my way or the highway. You're not going to get rid of those people. It, it's just an unreality unless you're really, really, really into genocide or something, mm-hmm. right? Or mass murder, which is what revolutionaries try to do after they've taken over. And they go through and clean everybody out who's got any views that are different from theirs. But as far as the general population goes, I have no problem living right next to, next with and being friends with libertarians, conservatives, liberals, progressives of all stripes. I, I don't care. If we can recognize that the, the, the more fundamental agreement that we all have is we're a diverse population of lots of views and ideas, and we're just going to have to learn to live with each other. And I think that's the, I think that's the, atti- the winning attitude that, that Americans should have. And I think the, the, the potential for having that is what makes, um, makes us great. Not just America, anywhere, anywhere in the world that can, that can have that kind of attitude. You know, and I think we rail against com- governments and institutions that put that that want us to be different than that. Mm-hmm. You know. All right, Eradico said, "Who will take over Scientology when David Miscavige dies, and how will the cult adapt?" Yes, the, the constant question. Yeah. Um, okay, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> and the answer to the question depends completely and entirely on the context in which David Miscavige leaves. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, so let me say, um, if David Miscavige is perp walked out of the church by the FBI in a raid and, you know, and there's video and evidence found or, or already, you know, in the authorities, uh, possession of him beating on people or hurting people. And, and this can be shown to Scientologists, then they're going to have a very different idea of him than if he were to simply pass away like Hubbard. And they can come up with some cover story of what happened, and and a new person can rise to the top. There'd be those are two wildly different scenarios, for example. So if he, you know, if it's found that that David Miscavige has been, you know, running this criminal operation and he's involved in shady deals and maybe worse, and he gets and he gets busted, um, 
for as you know for criminal act for real you know crimes that can be that can be proven in a court of law and that happens then um and that's no easy task by the way um but if if that could occur then you'd have a very different end scenario for Scientology. It could very well just collapse. It could fall apart under a circumstance like that. Whereas if he were to pass on or pass the torch for some reason or were to be busted in a less spectacular way and just sort of disappear or fade away, then Scientology could continue because somebody or somebodies could step up like what happened with the Jehovah's Witnesses after their founder died and after Rutherford left, they got this council of elders and um, they've been kind of running the show ever since. And as Lloyd Evans describes them, they're sort of the um, survival of the dumbest. You know, they're, that's like it's not the cream of the crop rising to the top, but it's a a group of people who will just kind of keep the status quo going, and that could be Scientology's future. So, you know, so there's different scenarios here depending on how things roll out. And, mm-hmm. and again, there could be some other scenario that I'm not even thinking about right now. So, yeah. Okay, Moonman55. Any thoughts about what the next phase of human evolution is related to what we are seeing today? Will humanity develop the empathy and compassion to throw away dangerous ideologies and belief systems? Possibly. I, that's a great question, and um, I've actually recently been introduced to the idea that perhaps we are, as a species, human beings, perhaps we are evolving past the, or, or, or sort of beyond, the need to identify and partake in a group mind or a group sort of uh, structure, and you know, we're becoming more and more individual. And um, and this is this is a this is a would be a, a kind of an important evolutionary step if it's true if that's the direction that we're moving in as a species where we because that means we could possibly evolve beyond this this sort of genetic urge to form groups as like I'm talking herd you know tribal tribalism basically is what I'm saying maybe we could evolve beyond tribalism and. And because our society is structured now in such a way that we don't have to have tribes. We need groups of people to cooperate and work together, but that's a bit of a different thing. A bunch of individuals can get together in a group, work together on common goal, and not go extreme, not go into the cult mindset, right? Any group can do this. But if we could evolve past the need for group identity to take over our personality and form groups on a more rational basis, then we could evolve beyond tribalism and the entire cult problem basically disappears. And wouldn't that be something? But I'm, I, you know, obviously this is not a couple generations away. This is something that's going to take a long time because evolution is a little slow. Um, but that's an idea that was recently presented to me, and I thought, wow, that's an interesting idea. You know, Jonathan Haidt writes uh, in the in his moral philosophy that um, um, there was something I missed. The moral, um, anyway, Haidt's moral philosophy, his theory of of, of uh, how morals and ethics work. He said that we're ninety percent 
Uh, 10% bee, 90% monkey, I think he said, something like that. Like there's a, there's, you know, we're mostly individuals already, but we do still have this part of us that is willing to be subsumed by the group dynamic or the group identity. And we still are too quick to jump into those sort of paradigms or way of thinking or way of, uh, way of identifying ourselves. And if we can, if we can just get past that. Tribalism is a thing of the past, and uh, like I said, that would be that would be quite quite amazing. All right, Bert Pineapple asks, Chris, can body thetans move from person to person? Yes, they can. Um, it, I think David Miscavige is terrified of of children's body thetans jumping on him. Or something. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a joke or not. Mark Headley said it, and I just always remembered it because I thought it was so ridiculously funny. Um, Apparently, Hubbard was concerned about this, too. I think that was the basis of him wanting to have an e-meter built for him that would shock him. And the guy who was uh, asked to do that, this is when Hubbard was in hiding in the 80s. Um, he wanted this, like, sort of, I, I can't remember all the specifics of it, but he wanted this, this e-meter built that would shock out the Thetans or something because Hubbard was afraid that they were floating around. Oh, damn. Wow, Ike, thank Damn, you. Ike. Awesome, man. Thank you. Um, anyway, he wanted this. Uh, it threw me off base for a second. Yeah. Anyway, he wanted this thing because he was afraid that body thetans were being attracted to him. And you can actually, in Scientology, you can get to OT8. OT, you know, you finish OT7 and you're not supposed to have any more body thetans. And then you move on to OT8 and do whatever you do there. But, but body thetans can still glom onto you somehow from the environment, and this can be the cause of why you would need some repair auditing. Yeah, so you're really never free of body thetans. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like the cooties, man. They just yeah. get you. So. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So like Valley Girl asks, since you have been through an environment with such a tight control on truth, do you have advice for keeping our sanity among all the polarizing news items and debates we are currently experiencing? Yeah, be chill. Um, mm -hmm. Every single time I've gotten to a place where I've been able to objectively look at myself and how I've fallen into a, you know, kind of mindset, and she can attest to this, this happens <laughs> too frequently. You know, these, these, these news, the propaganda that we are assaulted with every day, it, it works. I mean, I, I, I want to keep stressing this, right? It, that stuff, it, it works on us. And it, and it sure works on me. It works on her. It works on everybody I know. We've all been riled mm -hmm, up mm -hmm. by news stories we've heard, by things that people have said to us, by tweets, by social media posts. And... Our first thought is not, oh, let me, when, let me calmly examine this and right. fact check it, right? <laughs> yeah. That is not where we go. We like, go where? the exact opposite direction, right? Argh! This is so frustrating. This is so annoying. I am so, argh, how come they want to kill us? How come they mm -hmm. want this? How come they want that? We, you know, we immediately assume intent. We immediately assume who's a bad actor and who's not. We, we, we just dump all this stuff on people based on the flimsiest of excuses. And that's where we tend to go. That's where we naturally tend to go. So 
what I have had success with or when I have been successful with not doing that is when I can disconnect from from the emotional appeals that are being made to me by the propaganda and sort of, okay, what is this actually telling me? And then is what it's telling me true or is this just a bunch of generalities or is this... Um, is there, you know, what is this? Is this itself a propaganda opinion piece disguised as a news story? That is all over my Google mm-hmm. News feed, which is why Google News is almost useless because yeah. half the articles are opinion bad. pieces. Yeah. And they're disguised as news mm-hmm. stories. You know, we've merged the, the, the world of celebrity media and gossip media, which has been a thing for a long time has merged with real news where now it's, you know, our sloppy thinking makes it all the same, 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 same. And, you know, foreign affairs to us, foreign relations for most Americans is, is, seems to be the news of personalities. How did Trump do talking to the president of France rather than what are we actually doing with France? Right. In terms of trade, in terms of arms, in terms of, you know, all, all the international things that you would want to pay attention to. Right. We don't pay attention to those things. We pay attention to the things that that the person said and the things Trump said or mm-hmm. our president said. Mm-hmm. And we, we tend to focus more on the people rather than the issues. So the way to, the, the only way I've ever had success with, with with any of that is pulling back from it and. Um, not letting myself get, you know, emotionally involved in the story. And sometimes that comes after the fact of already diving down the emotional rabbit hole. And sometimes I'm able, less often, but but if I try, <laughs> um, or if I don't feel a personal connection with the story, that often helps. But, you know, that disconnect, that's the, that's the best way I can describe it as it's coming to me now. Does that, mm-hmm. make, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. All right, there you go. So Ina asks, are there any legalities about holding campaign events at churches or sponsored by churches? I know supposedly we have the separation, have the separation, but do we? Yeah, that's, that is, uh, that's where the churches really take advantage and where the IRS does not come down on them here in the States as they're supposed to per the uh, tax code. Mm -hmm. 501c3 tax code that uh, churches get non, you know, to get tax exempt status under specifically states that they will not endorse political candidates from the pulpit. They're not supposed to get into that. They're not supposed to be telling you who to vote for. They're not supposed to be getting in. in, in, in. They're not even right. supposed to be touching that stuff. Can you talk about it, political issues in a church setting? Yes, of course you can. It's not like anybody took away your First Amendment rights. Yes, you can have the conversations, but is the church entity or the representatives of the church supposed to endorse candidates or push political positions? No, they're not. And the closer they do and the more they do that and the closer they get to that, the, the more their 501c3 tax-exempt status is threatened or should be threatened. But there have been so many decades of abusive nonsense with this where the churches just blatantly go ahead and do it anyway, including Scientology, that the IRS has just, they don't have any teeth. They're not going after these groups for doing that. 
And that has a lot to do with the fact that 75% of Americans identify as Christian still, mm-hmm. 70, 75%. And there is a hardcore base of evangelicals who have political power. Just watch The Family on Netflix mm-hmm. or watch any of my podcasts with Clint Haycock where we go into all this. It's not one group. There's lots of these groups. There's tons of these groups. And they work together as allies and enemies sometimes. That, that, that whole thing is going on. But they work together for common cause to push forward legislation that reinforces their belief system, including legislation and lobbying groups who... Um, speak for the churches and make sure that the churches are protected and that they can keep going with their um, political rallies that they hold in their churches. And it's, it's really not okay. All right. So kind of a follow-up to that. I might have strong views about that. Chris Shelton, do you think they should ban the national prayer breakfast as it's obviously a religious lobby group opportunity? Absolutely. That should never have been allowed to happen. The National Prayer Breakfast. There's nothing national about it. Um, it. That's just a name to make it sound official. It's a private group putting that on and um, creating an incredible platform for uh, political influence through prayer, through religious belief. Um, and this, that specifically is detailed in the family on the, that documentary on Netflix. So I really highly recommend you check that out if you don't know what I'm talking about. It's worth your time to learn about that stuff because you'll start seeing things in Washington a little differently mm-hmm. when you look at it through that mm-hmm. lens. <clears throat> I'm going to take some more of your ginger ale. Okay. I don't know if this was a serious question or not, but R.R. Smith wanted to know how long is too long for an email. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're sending, I, I, I'm assuming that's an email to me. Um, people have sent me some pretty long emails. I prefer that they, at least not, I don't know, if you can keep it under two screens, that'd be great. Because then I'll probably have a, have a chance to read it. <laughs> All right. Nerman wants to know, do you know the secret of details Miscavige signed to get tax exemptions for the Church of Scientology? Yeah, the documents are actually online. You can look up the IRS tax agreement and all the questions that the church had to answer. In fact, I broke down in a very early video that I did about this. Um, I actually went through and showed how the Church of Scientology lied. Oh, in fact, I think that's in my book also. Um, in the Scientology A to Z new book, there's a whole chapter on this. And I actually quoted the questions that the church assi- that they were asked by the IRS and how they lied through their teeth to the IRS, uh, misrepresented what Scientology is, what the Sea Org is, what it's all about, how it works, how David Miscavige's position ensures dictatorial control. I, I, I laid it all out in there. It's They lied through their teeth to get tax exemption. All yeah. right. Kiva it's asked. good questions today. I like these questions. <laughs> Kiva Go asked, Chris, have you heard of anyone trying to revive the Xenu directory site that just expired? It had 15 years building a searchable library of many thousands of critical articles. I do. I've, I've kind of heard something in the background about that. This was almost a year ago. I know the ex-Scientology message board was was going to go down and came back up. As far as Xenu.net, I don't know specifically about that one. I don't know if um, Andreas is still running that or giving it up. I haven't heard um, about that. I thought it was still up. Okay. Yeah. I know Arnie Lerma's site went down, and then I think... I don't know if that came back up or not. I don't think so. So Yan Raisley asks, 
I have heard that there are auditing processes of which the EP is you get contacted out of the blue by someone, almost like magic. Have you heard anything about this confirmation bias? <laughs> yes. Um, that is a process called the PTS rundown. And it's actually a series of processes that get run on a person. Um, okay. Actually, thanks for asking about that. Because that is the, oh, sorry, not the um, PTS rundown, the suppressed person rundown. Okay. Suppressed person rundown. So let's say in Scientology that you have or have known or been connected with a suppressive person, okay, in this lifetime or in a past lifetime, but let's say this lifetime, um, you, you know, okay, I'll give you an example of something that used to come up with me all the time was a, a kid I used to uh, uh, constantly say was suppressing me when I was a kid. He was a bully. His name was Mark. And um, he, uh, whenever I got sick, my mom would ask me who was suppressing me in my environment. And it always came up with this guy because he was always <laughs> giving me shit, right? And so he was my SP. Now, he was also a friend of mine. But he was, he was kind of a dick sometimes, right? And so this would come up from time to time. So let's say that we move forward years into the future and I get really super sick or something or I have a big accident or something happens to me and I'm in Scientology and I end up needing to get more of a handling than just a light, you know, sort of interview, which is the first level of handling they do with you. Let's say it persists and I have a problem. So I get this, P, what's called a PTS rundown. And this is a series of, of auditing actions that are done on me to de-PTS me and get the SPs out of my life. I'm skimming over a lot of details right now. I'm trying to answer this quickly. So let's say I do the PTS rundown and it's successful, but... I still am having problems of some kind with PTSness. It's still coming up. I'm still getting sick. I'm still having accidents. I'm still making mistakes on the job or some kind of indication that I am still under some form of suppression or restimulated suppression in my life. So now I'm going to get what's called the suppressed person rundown or the SP rundown. And this is... What, what happens is I am now run on a series of processes that one after another after another, every one of them has to do with problems. Who's given me problems in my life? Have I given other people problems in my life? Uh, have others given others problems? And, and on and on, the variations of this. There's, there's lists of these pro what are called problems, processes. And I get run on this, and I continue over and over and over this list. This can go on for hours, days, even weeks, until that SP that we're addressing contacts me in real life, makes some kind of effort, a phone call, a letter, something, anything, to try to reconcile or make up for whatever happened in the past. There's some positive, friendly outreach from the SP. So let's say it's this guy, Mark, that I knew as a kid. I haven't talked to him in years, but he's still coming up for me, right? I don't know him anymore. I don't know his contact information. And during the suppressed person rundown, I would not reach out to him. He has to reach out to me somehow. Huh. And this is magical. Even Hubbard even says it's magical, right? This happens. And um, 
I actually have some experience with this because when I was on the RPF, I did a suppressed person rundown on another RPFer. I didn't receive it. I was doing it on him. And we ran it and ran it and ran it and ran it on um, his sister, who is a famous SP. I'm not going to name names because it's nobody's business. But I was running this on this guy. And when we were in the church, his sister had gotten away and was publicly speaking out. And um, we were trying to handle that. So I was running this process on him, these processes, with the goal that she was going to somehow reach out to him in a friendly fashion or something. Well, he was protesting this. This went up and down. We ran it and ran it and ran it. And till we finally came to the conclusion that we it must have been a false SP because she wasn't reaching out. She wasn't going to reach out. And this mm-hmm. magical thing wasn't happening. And he was miserable. And we finally called it. We finally basically just hit the eject button and got an okay to do that. So I never saw the result of this magical process. I heard in my time in Scientology about one or two other people who had done it who supposedly had had some kind of magical result with it, but I never saw it with my own two eyes. So that's everything I can say about that. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Was that all the questions? No, but it's oh. 12 o'clock. Oh, we're, we've been at it for an hour. Yeah. Damn. Okay, cool. Okay, did we have anything else um, that looks super important that we should cover in the things? Anything I didn't want to miss? Talking about the internet. Oops. Okay. All right, cool. Well, we've been at it for an hour here. So, um, oh, I will answer Neon Cat's question about Baby Yoda um, or the child. Yes, I love baby yoda i love the mandalorian i like what they did with it yeah yeah we we both were down um okay good and seven we left the door open to let him in to let him in and he was in here before we started but then he has not come back in since and i did not set up the seven cam for uh this episode seven cam is something that you'll get when you watch us on the um on our call-in show on wednesday nights Uh, he's probably hiding under the couch right now. Okay, fine. <laughs> All right, guys. So, um, listen, thank you very much. Uh, Ike, thank you especially for the super chats. We yes, really appreciate the support, man. And uh, all of you guys out there who are uh, joining us on Patreon or just supporting the show through your viewership and sharing and liking what we do, I really, really, really appreciate it. I want to grow this channel. I really, really do. And I want to grow it beyond what it started with. I think there's a lot of potential here to talk about important things. And your questions this episode have actually kind of proven that out for me. So anyway, just putting those uh, those last bits in there. Thanks for coming around, guys. And let's go ahead and wrap up for today. All right. And we'll see you on Tuesday. Uh, and if not Tuesday, we'll see you Wednesday for sure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.